Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond. And today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder Fam. Welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Aaron Debevoir. He's the CEO and founder at Spotter, which provides cash and insights to creators to grow their brands while retaining their freedom. He was also a co-founder of the YouTube titan known as Machinima. And today, we're going to be learning about really what it takes to grow a business within the creator space, which is the new opportunities within the creator economy and the intricacies of working with YouTubers and other content creators, including Mr. Beast and Dude Perfect. This was an incredible interview. It's so fascinating where this space is going. Aaron is on the cusp of it. Please welcome to the podcast, Aaron Debebois. So the first question we ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? I always had a passion uh, for building, and I'm sure that's something similar to every every entrepreneur, um, but really kind of impacting people's lives directly through the work that I do. Um, I actually, you know, 
my first job was actually an investment banker, which didn't allow me to do that at all. And, and, uh, and, and really taught me how much I really kind of wanted to, to have more of an impact on people's lives directly. And so I started a company called Machinima, which was a um, kind of a, a version of MTV, but for YouTube and focused on gamers. But think of it as a consumer facing programming brand where we were really kind of providing content to millions of gamers around the world and, and impacting their lives. Um, but after many years of doing that, I felt like I could really help creators themselves become enterprises and ecosystems and the, the, the way we could change creators' lives, who then in turn changed millions of people's lives by influencing them, was so exciting and gave me so much passion that uh, finding out how to kind of provide capital and financing to them didn't feel like a bank or a job. Um, it felt much more like a mission. Um, and that's when I really started to thrive uh, in my career, I feel like. Yeah, I see. So I want to talk about Spotter, all the crazy cool stuff you're doing there as well. But can we go back to the early days of entrepreneurship? Like, what was your, what were your early experiences um, was like, like, what was your first business? First business that was funded by venture capital, right, was Machinima, as I mentioned, right? Yes. And it's, it, it was kind of crazy. I mean, you, you you would think it's it's a totally unique experience. It's your first business, and you go out and you have to talk to 250 investors to get one yes. Um, and you you feel like you're you're speaking a language that everyone should understand, but no one understands the language. And and ultimately, then one person gets it, um, and then you're off to the kind of the races a bit. Um, and by the way, that experience like it doesn't change, right? Every time you create a new company or a new opportunity, it, it feels like you're just talking a different language until someone gets it. Um, but the experience was, was really hard. Um, and, you know, the idea that you can go from a five person, you know, team and everybody can communicate with each other really by just sitting around a table, that is kind of the best, best moment of communication you have, and all of a sudden you grow a team to 100 people or 250 people we had at Machinima, um, and it got really chaotic, right, really fast. Um, and so trying to rein in that chaos and make sure, I think that first experience as, as an entrepreneur was we were trying to do too many things. Um, and that I had to change over time because trying to be too many things to, to, to your customers um, really dilutes the the brand um a lot and 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 makes it the, make it really challenging to have a kind of day-to-day -day cohesive story internally and externally um to to really thrive so can you tell us some um, some of the other early lessons uh with machinima and then also i'm curious like was that your first experience to, to really see the power of these creator platforms like youtube yeah i mean it was definitely my first it was it started in 2006 so we were, there weren't even really creators making money on the platform at the time, right? In fact, it was much more like the starving artists business, right? Where, you know, we were at the time, it was really like YouTube had not yet solved the idea of how, how to pay creators enough to actually quit their jobs and do, you know, and be a creator full time. Um, and Machinima actually tried to solve that for gamers, right? Was to actually give them a way to make money um by organizing them and selling ads with them and so forth um 
I think that the, the lesson I learned there was that idea of obviously providing a very specific value to the customer, in that case, the video game enthusiast who wanted to be a creator, um, really moved the needle. And we focused on a pain point that was this idea of like, hey, I have to work at Olive Garden and then try to become a gamer at night, right? Um, or gaming wasn't a career. Um, and so solving that pain point and having that level of focus on a really specific thing, like, hey, can I have a consistent monthly paycheck around, um, around what I want to do was, was a great lesson that was held throughout the time I've had where um, that, that trying to find the pain point that is in your customer's experience, right, to actually solve that. I think that it was super early days. So YouTube, what was kind of crazy was that YouTube was figuring itself out, right? And it still is, but like really figuring itself out. So just to give you an example of, you know, you got to work with what you have. YouTube had no analytics, right? So we literally would have to count views by hands on videos. There was no such thing as, you know, actually the backend analytics platform that they have today. They weren't international. It was only domestic. There was no mobile phones, I mean, there were mobile phones, but there was no iPhone, right? Um, at the time when we started, there were only 35,000 partners on, on, on the network. So we had to believe in something that was going to happen over time um, and a bigger vision of, hey, YouTube is going to succeed and let's hook our kind of hitch our wagon or hook our wagon to, to the YouTube um, train. Um, and the other one other thing about that is that there were a proliferation of other platforms right, uh, that were coming out trying to solve the same thing YouTube was trying to do, right? So there was iMeme and Vimeo and so forth. Mm -hmm. And what we found out is there was there was a big theme with, with investors around super syndication, like, hey, you should be on every platform as a video creator. And we were creators as well, right? We created our own content at Machinima um, around gaming. And it became impossible to actually execute, you know, on six different platforms really well. Right. And so the hyper focus on YouTube itself going, hey, there's a big enough community on YouTube to be a very successful business is what made us win and become one of the most successful brands, I think, born on YouTube at the time. So, no, it's super impressive. Um, I want to talk about Spotter uh, because you guys are doing incredible stuff there. But for those that are not aware, what was the problem that you were trying to solve when it comes to Spotter? It's a continuation of the same thing I was talking about, which is YouTube actually got really good at solving the problem of providing enough payment or cash flow to creators actually quit their job and thrive. Um, the difference was that no one had figured out how to provide enough capital or enough money to creators to take advantage of the opportunity that was in front of them at scale, right? So yes, they could quit their jobs and, and be a full-time creator, but could they hire five editors and a COO and buy a production facility and ultimately live a life that allowed them to really take advantage of the fact that they're growing these viewers at an exponential rate? So the payment system from YouTube was much more of a long-term payment system, right? I'll pay you over years as your video performs. Our view is if we can predict that viewership over years, why don't we pay you now for it so you can invest in your business? And it's not a too, it's not too um, dissimilar to a bunch of, of businesses that exist in the music business, they do this as well.
But the difference is, is that in the music business, the talent usually takes the money to exit their their core um, creative day to day workings, right? So if you think of like Sting selling his royalties right for three hundred million dollars, it's kind of the end of the career move, right? Whereas in YouTube, it's the beginning of the career, and there's such a way for there's such a fast way that creators can invest in their own content that what would happen was that the pain point that we were solving was an initial investment that they could do that's way more than their monthly income. But creators have kept coming back and doing deal number two and deal number three with us because they've figured out how to invest in themselves um, and therefore have grown, right? Three, four X, right? Uh, much that they, one of our creators, Unspeakable, talks about he invested, he did more in one year than he thinks he could have otherwise done in four years, right? Um, and so that level of scale has now turned spotters relationship with creators into a partnership rather than a transaction uh, which was really critical to our brand being successful it's such an incredible idea and this is going to be massive no doubt about it like it's already massive but this is going to keep growing so i'm curious you have this incredible idea what were the first steps of getting it off the ground oh it was it was uh (laughs) I laugh because it was insane. Like like every company that has to get off the ground, or at least a lot, um, we had to prove to the world. Uh, uh, we had to prove ourselves to a number of different groups in the world, right? One, we had to prove to ourselves to the financial world that this is actually a business that is financeable, right? And we, the way we did that was through data, Right. So taking a world that really most people look at YouTube and think it's fairly confusing. It's really a black box. You don't know how things work and having to show people that are used to investing in very obvious cash flow businesses. Right. That, hey, this is not too dissimilar to the ones you already invest in. Took us, you know, many, many years. Right. I think I actually started working on it about eight years ago um, and and had to go out and experiment and had to go buy content and show them that when I chose the right thing, it actually performed. And um, so it was a really big hustle. And we finally, it also took us 200 plus uh, meetings with equity investors and debt investors to actually figure out, to actually get one or two yeses. Um, And it was finally people that were, the people that invested were a very young group of investors who lived and breathed these platforms for their whole lives, right? And so they understood that it wasn't such a black box, right? Um, and were willing to open their minds. Um, so, so that was the first. The second is it, in the creator ecosystem on YouTube and in other platforms, there's a lot of distrust, right? Between third-party companies and the creators themselves. Hey, is this something that I'm going to be, am I going to be taking advantage of? I've been taken advantage of, and this is something I don't want to trust, right? It's too good to be true. Why would they give me money? All these things that at first we thought, hey, if we just go out there and provide them cash, right? And and step back, everyone will swarm, right, to it. And what we realized was that's not at all what we could do. We had to educate the creators about why this was a good opportunity for them. And it's amazing how much misinformation creators have about their own content, right? Or lack of information, right? Um, and saying, hey, like, do you know how much money your most recent upload contributed 
to the money you made all month, right? And the answer would be no, right? They had no idea. It was like trying to buy a house from a person that, that when there was no housing market, they're like, well, how do I know that's worth that, right? Um, so education and communication and building trust and getting the right creators to get on board and share their experiences was how we needed to get started. Um, and it took us, you know, in the first six to 12 months, it was really like dialing for dollar or dialing for opportunity. Um, and it took us to find what we call our temple or, or anchor tenants, right? Anchor customers to then go out and say, you know what? They, they paid, they paid fast. They made me believe it really worked, right? Um, and it was once the creators trusted us, that's when it started to scale. Um, so, And who was the first creator you signed on? Because you, you, you would have an incredible network with Machinima. Like, yeah, who was the first creator? Or, or was it not that easy even with your existing network? No, it wasn't. It, it, and, and by the way, the, the network had changed, right? So from 2006 to when we really start, and I really started doing this and call it with Spotter in 2019, now there was like, five years of research and data or seven years, six years of research and data that went in before that. But uh, in 2019, the world, the ecosystem completely changed. Right. Um, so I think there was trust by people when I said, Hey, I was the one that worked on Machinima or co-founded Machinima. There was Hey, I could look that up and actually know that that was true. That helped. Um, but it was really started from scratch and it was myself and um, the COO, uh, Nick Paul, Right, who were sitting there going, "Hey, we got to talk to creators. Got to figure out what they're like. What's the right messaging?" I remember one of our first board meetings was literally just reviewing the email of like, "How do we talk to creators? Right? How do we get them to respond?" And and so the first deal we closed was with a channel called Yellow Productions, um, and it was a travel channel of all about going to Las Vegas, right? And and we invested in it, and I, and. It wasn't too, I think it was towards the end of, end of 2019, right? Um, going right into COVID when travel right to Vegas was like in no way, shape or form an interesting video to anyone. Um, and so it totally tanked um, for a long while and actually has like come back. Um, but it was, was one of the scariest experiences and I think for other entrepreneurs to learn right? Like we had to educate our investors that the first thing we do and the second thing we do and the third thing we do might not work, right? Like it will take time to figure this out because if they, and then when you're investing cash in, you know, assets like videos, they have to, like, if they didn't experience that, they could have cut us off before. And, and what we, what we talk about, and one of my mentors talks about a lot is, false negatives and false positives, right? We would have had a false negative, like, hey, this doesn't work because the first three creators you financed just didn't work. And you're going, yeah, but that, that that's part of the game, right? Um, so, yeah. So can you walk us through just the business models just so everyone's super clear? So like we said, our mission is to provide capital and knowledge to creators, right? So that they can change the world right not not us um and what that means is and the very simplest uh kind of explanation is creators have built or created a lot of videos over time right that have been on the platform for years 
those videos have a kind of have a consistent cash flow um, that comes to the creator every month. And what we go in and say is, hey, we will license those videos. So let's call it 100 videos in a library for a term of five years. And we will pay you upfront what we predict the cash flows will be over those five years. And the creator then gets the money immediately and can reinvest in anything they want. Frankly, we don't tell them it has to be a certain, like even in their YouTube channel, they can buy real estate if they want. Um, but most invest in their in their channel and they own a hundred percent of every video they make going forward in terms of the revenue stream. Um, so they get to know they get all the upside. Um, we don't own the IP. We don't, we just license the revenue rights to YouTube. We make it very simple, which I believe the only products that really work, work on major platforms like YouTube are simple products that can scale. So we don't even confuse them with, hey, we get the Facebook rights and the, the distribution rights to go on television and all that. That just becomes like, whoa, what are you going to do with my brand? Right? We are, we are very hands off. But what we do do on top of that is then come in and say, hey, we have a lot of data. Let's give you insights on how to get better. Um, and so we provide that. We don't charge for that. That that's just a partnership experience um, that they work with us on. So that that's the business model. Ultimately, we also are kind of second revenue stream, which is in line with you know staying very focused. Is how do we improve the monetization of the videos that we're that we're ultimately licensing? And if we can improve that monetization through direct ad ad sales um, on those videos then we can ultimately pay creators more than anybody else um, for their for their content. So uh, it's a win-win situation, um, makes things more predictable. Um, so th that's, th that's the core of the business. Yeah, it's such a killer idea. I'm curious, it's really about like how, how you said, you know, the first, second or third might not work. We have to be prepared. So you have to have an incredible eye for talent, but then also you said it's data-backed and data-led. Who was the first creator that really kind of was like, wow, this is game-changing? The most obvious one for us is Mr. Beast, was Jimmy. Um, he was the, because we had to convince, he was investing a lot of money in content, right? So it was gonna be a prime example for us that said they used the money, the creator used the money for the purpose that it was, really intended, right, um, was to help scale. And he was a huge success story. So our investors then saw, hey, look, this this model works, right? And and at the time we were really, we were so early on that, that none of the none of the videos that we had licensed really had enough performance to show whether it was working or not. Right. So this this what had happened is I remember we had to change strategy. We weren't getting enough because we weren't going to go out and market the idea. We had to kind of keep it secret because we were worried that once we said the term asset, right, associated with a video on YouTube, that there would be a lot of financial investors that would come swarm to the idea that, that ultimately we wanted to work through creators as our network, right? And so we didn't market ourselves. We had a really crappy website. Um, and, and Mr. Bees gave us that kind of, moment of trust, right? That that everyone could look to us and go, if he did it, then there just must be something there. Right. Um and we've done about three or four deals with 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 Jimmy over the years. 
Um, very different things. He wanted to launch a Spanish language channel. We're like, well, all right, we'll fund that, right? Um, and actually, we didn't even have a video uploaded yet. They only think had one month. So it was outside of our core model. Mm-hmm. Um, but we trust, we had a trustful, trusted relationship there. Um, so I think he he's the number one most influential kind of moment for us. Um, I think just as one other thing, though, is that the second one, right, which would happen with a number of creators, was when we moved from what we thought was going to be a transactional model, right, which was like, hey, one and done, we're going to give you a bunch of money. We've licensed the, the content you've made over four years. Like, how could you ever have that much more value for us to come do another deal? And realizing that our next deal would happen six months later, right? And that six month, six months later in a lot of deals ends up being two to three times size the original deal because the value of the new content with the new subscribers and the growth and the investment they made was so much bigger. Um, And that happened three or four times. And we realized, wow, we're in a partnership with creators, right? We're, 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 and, and give it, one of the things we saw was that creators were able to, when they had the money, there is almost like on, you know, starting a company is like they had the headspace to actually think about things with more time and change their approaches, right? Even change their programming. Like one of our creators, Jordan Matter, went from a photographer to a family channel, right? Um, and grew 4X. Um, so anyway, I think that those are kind of the moments that we, we look towards as being influential. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success, you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. Interesting how you said a lot of the creators feel less pressure because they're just caught up on video, video, video. They've got to hit this certain amount and right. and it gives them the ability to take more risk and not get caught up in if I if I do change, if I do change things because it's what people are used to seeing, then it, it might not work, you know, like and that's that's a bit of a hamster wheel that all creators get in on 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 any content platform. Yeah, even if they're seeing that other things are working for other people, they're not even willing to maybe do that even though there's proof right because like you said people are used to seeing me do this one thing all the time right um and um it's been really beautiful to see like it's so it's thrilling for me to it's almost like being an investor in a startup and then seeing them thrive and change and and and, and, and just move and i, I kind of feel like the uh, the content world around youtube is really like the early days of the internet where there wasn't really a playbook, right? There weren't tons of mentors, right? There weren't so many examples of failures and successes that you could learn from. 
right now it's like a smaller world, even though it's been around for some time where there's no playbook, right? Like they, they don't have the mentors. Even when you look at what Jimmy has done, it looks so impossible, right? Like to get to a hundred million subscribers and do the things he's doing. When you actually look at it though, it's, it's, it's actually pretty straightforward, right? It, 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 not to say like you have, there's a lot of luck involved and there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of work, right? But at least there's, when you look at it, he's like, oh, he hired a bunch of people. He, he bought some studio space. He made the videos bigger and bigger. And so there's like a pretty natural progression, mm. right? That That's not oh, so overwhelming, right? But there's no one to share that with. Um, so there's a real lack of community amongst the creator space to be able to share business related. Like you and I could sit on the call right now and go, if we wanted to launch a new social platform, video platform, we could be like, this is what Facebook's doing wrong. This is what was Facebook's doing right. This is what, you know, we can go through all that fairly quickly. And by the end of the day, we might have a really good idea, right? Like there's no platform. There's no, um, none of that exists for creators. So to get in touch with Jimmy, was it you guys that did the outbound or was it a connection? And yeah, how did that come about? Because he will be, I believe, the the first YouTube billionaire, no doubt about it. And he, anything he touches seems to turn into gold and that guy's just unstoppable yeah. and he's just going to keep growing, growing, growing. So I'm curious, like, did you guys reach out to him? It was inbound. How long did it take? Yeah, no, these deals take a long time. Um, and it, it was all of it. <laughs> it was like, uh, we were going, trying to go inbound. I mean, sorry, we were trying to go outbound, like just contact him, contact him, talk to his friends, talk to whoever. And then we talked to his manager. Right. And really the manager, which was, is a company called night media mm. who does really great job of managing some really top talent, saw the value opportunity. I knew, um, one of their, uh, the president, um, Ezra, uh, from the back in the days of like Machinima and Maker Studios and so forth. So there was some already built trust there. Um, but it really came down to like, in this case, to data and the need for capital. That 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 mix of Jimmy wants to go bigger and the need and the data actually shows it's a good economic decision, right? Those two things together was really kind of what made it happen. And yeah, I, I think he's probably already worth a uh, billion dollars or more because he has the the restaurant business or the burger business and the and the chocolate bar business and you know he hasn't even you know I think it's launching a Walmart soon or something and and it's amazing and um, he he keeps needing capital he doesn't always he doesn't, we're not the only source of capital for him obviously he has other sources but because he keeps going big he just reinvests he's the perfect example of someone that just like goes for it, right? He has like, he's okay with having $0 in the bank as long as it's all going towards his business. Um, so uh, yeah, it, and that's what we learned was, hey, it's not gonna be one tactic that converts all the creators, right? It's gonna be a mix of, we had to work with the people that are already working with them and build their trust with managers and agents and MCNs and have, and make sure we don't feel threatening. We're like, we're not trying to be managers, right? We're not trying, we had to have a very specific value proposition that everyone felt comfortable with and everyone could win. And not, and that included YouTube too, right? I mean, you, we had to convince YouTube that not that they like say, Hey, we're an approved business of uh, vendor of theirs, but that this is a good idea that this would actually be really helpful. Um, 
and see the results. So I'm also curious because um, a lot of our audience uh, would be facing this similar challenge. Like you've came up with an incredible business idea. It took a while to get proof of concept and you're reaching out to really kind of people where they're super time poor. Everybody wants to put an opportunity in front of them and it's a model, it's an idea, it's 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 a venture that, or it's a category that people are not what that what familiar with, like you're creating a new category. How do you get through that mentally just to keep going, right? Because so many people, like you said, you spoke to 250 plus investors to even understand the business model and the concept and it will work, not work. These, these are the things you're trying to convince people. How What keeps you going, Aaron? Because this is really tough. A lot of people that start businesses that are successful, they go, hey, here's an e-commerce product and here's what that person's doing and bang, off we go. Or here's a SaaS product and here's the problem and I can create the software and I can do an MVP and I've got 100 users, bang, done. Like creating a category though, that is not easy. No, I appreciate you saying that because it's it's hard to share that with everyone. But I can tell you, it, 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 it was it, it was really intense. But I had such conviction that it would be beneficial to all parties, and it would work if we give it, we were given the chance, right, to actually work. That it drove me every day to going like. It allowed me to get through the the downs, which were, there were a ton of downs, right? Um, and we almost went bankrupt at times, right? I mean, this was this was years and years of effort. Um, and I, I remember going from you know fifty people to ten people to you know, and and, and um, I was sleeping in the office, right? I was I was sacrificing my life with uh, not seeing my family. I have two children. Um, and doing all these things that I thought, right, were the way for us to crack through. And I ended up learning that I don't actually think the, the things that you try to do, like if you're sitting there going, if I only work five more hours, I'll make it happen, right? That there's a lot of, like, you know, you hear that from other, other founders and so forth, that it actually wasn't working well. Um, when I was fighting through that, um, what ended up being better was simplifying things, right? And ultimately, so saying, hey, we're not going to try to fund every single creator at first, right? We're not going to try to do individual videos. We're going to only work with libraries that have lots of data, right? We're, I'm not going to work, you know, 24 hours a day. I'm actually going to be more efficient with my time. I'm going to see my family. When I actually broke through, which by the way, it took like eight years to, to figure that out, right? But it was like, when I actually broke through, I became, became way more efficient and way more accepting of, of the challenges um, and asked for, and I actually sought out other people's help a lot. Um, and that helped me get through when I frankly found my, uh, my partner, business partner, um, Nick Paul, um, it was just such a good match between the two of us um, that, I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurs strive to have a partner that they can kind of trust. I had a bunch of partners already. I, in fact, the first employee, um, John Bodenheimer, who happens to be my brother-in-law too, um, has been there in the grind and able, like, able to work through it with me. 
But when Nick came in, in 2019, it was like, oh, right there, there's someone I can like, tr- like lean on. Um, and then I added a coach to that, right? Like a CEO coach that every Friday I've, I've started to work with this coach to go, is this emotion that I have helpful or not helpful, right? Is it real or not real? Is it? And so what it, what ended up happening, why I ended up, I think, doing really well was I became obsessed with all outcomes, right? It was basically what I call future tripping, right? Which is, hey, like I, I think of all the positive things that can happen if we get this done and how that many lives we can impact and how many creators we can really help. But I also think about all the pitfalls, right? And, and you kind of live through all of that, right? You live through the excitement and the trauma of both of those scenarios, but that's what's required to then figure out like, hey, how do you solve the problem, right? Um, but we need capital so that we don't go under, but we need enough to make sure we, don't, we, can, we can invest in more than one in creator, right? And so we made a conclusion that we're like, we need to invest $300 million in creators for this to be super successful. And until that happened, we were going to, we were going to struggle, right? Um, and so that's a lot, I know, but... Uh, you know, that's kind of how that journey went. Yeah, no, I really appreciate your vulnerability. And this is really helpful because this is the real side of entrepreneurship. The highs are high and the lows are low. And there are times where you might be staring down the barrel. And I think it is, is a necessary part of building something of true worth and significance like what you guys are building. I think it's, it's, it's critical that you have these adversities where you're just like, wow, okay, what do I do? Like, am I, is this going to work? And what I heard from you is you found a, a business partner, um, your, your COO, and then also you start to reframe things. And then lastly, you found a coach. Cause that was going to be my next question. Cause in the past three years, you guys have grown yeah. super fast, right? So something yeah, clicked. Like something clicked. So I, I'm, I'm glad to hear we got to that. Like, how did you, can you talk us through kind of, I guess, operationally hiring, scaling the team? Yeah, we grew super fast. And we were growing super fast. I mean, we started, I think we started 2021 with like less than 20 people. We ended 2021 with 50 people. We're now at 120 people. Um, the and, and we deployed almost, you know, we've deployed almost $700 million to creators. Um, and, you know, scaling the team is really hard, right? Finding good people, but not looking for the perfect person because it'll take forever, right? Um, when you get a lot of people, how do, you, how do you keep the actual brand intact, right? The internal brands, like what are we about and the mission and, and so forth and what and then how do you keep people communicating and so forth um it's really really challenging i think that some you know one of the best days we've had recently about how to scale was actually writing down working doing a workshop with the executives that are on the team and with and then with others as well around mission vision values um i've always thought of those as like i wasn't sure that that they were really that that critical if you lived it you probably have it. And so in the beginning, we kind of just lived this mission of like helping creators. And we had mottos like, we'll never do a, we'll always do the best possible deal for creators without doing a bad deal for the company, right? We were always like, this is not about taking advantage of the immediate opportunity, but a long-term play. 
when we actually got to it, having a succinct mission, right, um, written down, uh, that's a 30-year kind of outlook, um, and having values written down was super helpful in helping us scale, right? It's it, it aligned me, it allowed me to talk about the brand to our creators in a way that that was really fast and made a lot of sense to them. It allowed us to talk to the re- recruiting talent um, and so forth. And also telling our story through our, through our um, I'll call them like small wins, but, but through the creator's stories, right? So us funding a creator, the story is not we deployed $100 million to five different creators, right? That's not the story. It's like, what did the, what happened with the creator's lives? Right. And that gave people this motivation that feels very altruistic, right? In the company that allowed us to come into work every day and really focus on like, can I, can what I do today as an individual in the company improve the lives of a creator, right? And improve the life of a creator, even incrementally, actually, more importantly, incrementally, right? It wasn't about a big win fast. It was like each day getting a little bit better. Um, through the eyes of that or that mission of providing access to capital and knowledge to creators so they can change the world, right? Um, That, I I think, really helps in scaling. And anyone out there that tries to hire a lot of people fast, you've got to give them a purpose and you've got to make sure you're celebrating the small wins. Because if you just say, hey, the big goal is to change the world, it's so overwhelming and not tangible that it almost, you just end up having chaos. Um, and lastly, I think it's, we've been really good of eliminating all distractions, right? We've had lots of people come to us like, why aren't you doing credit cards for creators? Why aren't you doing banking services? Why don't you buy this company? Why isn't this company by you? And we've just said blinders on, we do this one thing really well. And if we can hyper-focus it's amazing how many things you'll find like you can improve on in this like in like almost like a nano view of the world versus you know a much more expanded view of the world you find these like fine tuning opportunities to go well we should talk to creators a little bit differently right um because we're not having to worry about selling them five products um that really helped us uh and i, I give that advice to anyone of a hyper focused you know team is going to is going to crush everybody in, the, in their category so long as everybody else is focused on multiple things. So, We'd love to switch gears and talk about some of the creators you work with. You talked about Mr. Beast, uh, Dude Perfect, another massive, massive one. What do you think, you, you have a unique insight to see some of the behind the scenes operations and these partners of yours effectively. What, what are they getting so right that people need to know about when it comes to becoming a successful creator it's funny right what looks like an a to the rest of the world right sometimes i mean even my coach kind of told me this right probably feels like a is actually probably a b b or b plus and it may feel like a c minus right in terms of how you're executing um i think the creators have a a natural tendency to believe they could be doing way better right and and frankly, they're right. Like I said, it maybe it's a B plus, right? But they feel like it's a C plus, right? And they're like, I can always be improving. And so they're obsessed. And that obsession 
is what what gives what makes them successful. Um, because again, it's just like any other company. There's ups and downs. There's editors they hire that don't work out, right? There's we hired 50 people and we only need 20, or we hired 20 and we need 100. We don't have enough facility space and so forth. And the other thing that that they get right is they ask a lot of questions, right? They they talk to YouTube as much as they can, although you know it's not easy to get a whole, not easy to talk to YouTube all the time. They talk to fellow creators. There's no organization that brings that all together, which I think we can play a really big part on. Like we brought Dude Perfect and Preston, right? Two really big creators on YouTube. One with, you know, have been around forever. The other one's been around for some time. And they're 20 minutes apart and they've never met each other. Right. And we brought them together at a dinner. And one was struggling to hire editors. The other one had a amazing system of hiring editors, right? And they just met each other. They learned about that. And then they shared it in the results. And then they, they grew from there, right? So if you actually hear what Jimmy says, I think it, in some recent article about him, he talks about his network of creators that kind of feels like AI and how AI learns, where if there are 50 robotic arms all learning from each other, the, 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 the result is exponential exponential learning or exponential growth, right? Rather than each robot arm having to learn the, the task by itself, right? Um, and that is not even like, the surface hasn't even been cracked on that, right? Um, there's not co coordinated experimentation and so forth. So I think this like the really early days of being successful, they are these really obsessed creators over their craft. The other thing that they've done is hyper-focused. If you actually look at every channel that's successful, it usually has a really core theme, right? They're not bouncing around. It's kind of the same lessons we have as companies, right? Like they they, they hyper-focus and do what they do really well, right? So Jude Perfect is the only successful channel like itself, right? Um, you know, Jimmy, a lot of people are learning from Jimmy, right? Around uh, this stuff. So I, I think it's kind of the same reasons why traditional entrepreneurs are successful um and i think it's just the start i'm curious as well is it still possible right now for new creators to enter the space and have explosive growth on youtube oh yeah we see it all the time um and what's interesting is we even talk to creators that are that have been around for a while and i think they're a little bit more scared right um because they go like hey wait these new these new creators are going to be obsessed but they knew like they know different tactics, different techniques. They've learned from TikTok and they, they're going to apply some of the TikTok learnings to YouTube and, and, and overtake us. And they have less to risk. I mean, they, they can risk a lot more. Sorry. They have no, nothing to give uh, to lose. Um, so you do see actually like we've had conversations with Collins Key is a different uh, another creator that's really successful on the platform. He's like, I talk to the young new creators all the time because I can learn from them things that I'm not seeing. Um, we have, I would say, the average age of the channels that we are providing financing to is declining fast, right? Um, and the speed at which those channels are scaling is increasing fast, right? So someone that's been around for a year, it used to be like you had to have a minimum of a year of great success for us to even consider working together. Now it's like if you've got a year and you're doing the right things because they're starting to learn like the, like AI, 
right? Then you go, okay, you've, you've, you, I can see you've learned the formula, right? Um, and it's not so like the formula is A plus B equals C. It's very much like the right mix of a little, a bunch of little things, right? That you go, okay, you're obsessed enough. You're doing enough of the things. You're going to have that almost like gamification of success, right? Like the, 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 the effort and the reward, the effort and the reward that you go, okay, this, this person um, is going to be really successful. And what we look at is going, hey, the amount of money that we want to fund to creators can actually go down over time, meaning we'll fund earlier because we see that they're going to grow and they're going to become a long-term partner with us, right? Um, and so part of that is like why we've added not just access to capital, but also knowledge. So if we can help that, then we've done a really good job, right? Um, so, but yeah, I, I think there's plenty of room for, for new creators. Oh, awesome. Thank you for sharing. That's really insightful because I know it's easy to look at others like Mr. Beast. You can see he's been going for 10, 12 years, 13 years. And it's like, oh, well, I can never do that now. But look, this is awesome, Aaron. I'm, I'm having a ton of fun. I could talk to you all day. Have to work towards wrapping up. Uh, moving to the hot seat round, rapid fire questions. First question is, right now, who's the creator that inspires you the most? I'd have to say it's Jimmy. Just the amount of risk he takes, the, you know, all that he's accomplishing. He's really inspiring. And he, he also is doing a lot of philanthropy. He, he has really good intentions. And um, yeah, he inspires me the most. If you could go back to your first day in business and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? Not that it will all be okay, but that it all won't always be okay, but you'll make it through, right? You, 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 you need to persevere. Um, and I think there are a lot of moments in my life through business that I thought it was the end or, or there's no way I was going to make it through and, and it happened. So maybe I would tell myself to chill a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, so what's one surprising thing about working with the Mr. Beast team? How much investment they're doing in providing food to those in need. Um, the size of the refrigerator that they have and making sure that they deliver quality product to to uh to food banks is insane like it's like one of the it's, it's a mr beast fridge right you can imagine like it's just way bigger than anything you've ever seen and and i just think that's that's it's fascinating how he has the headspace and my and time to do that which i would love to do things like that i just sometimes don't have like i don't have the headspace or time to do it so super fascinating what's the worst advice you've ever been given it's expand rapidly without consideration of focus Right. So the worst advice is do this, do more, do that, like keep going. You can be right. And, and then losing focus. It's, it's really it, it, from an investor's perspective, it's really, it's really difficult to, to say no to that. Um, so the, the advice is super expand, take more cash, go after it. And the, the fight back is I need to focus. I need to win my category and so forth. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? It's focused, but it's also, I learned from a guy named Jeff Jonas. He was the head of context computing for IBM. He was an early investor on the board, someone I sought out because I really didn't have a, a lot of experience in big data. Um, and 
he taught me, not taught me the scientific method, but showed me how to use the scientific method of proving myself wrong all the time um, and making sure I don't have any false negatives and false positives. And those false negatives and false positives have become so critical. It, it's like, like I said, if we funded the first grader and everyone said, I mean, it didn't work out, right? Like it could have ended this business that's now worth, you know, many billions of dollars and is funding hundreds of, of millions of dollars to creators. It would have been crazy. So, yeah. Love it. Last question. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would have been why? It's going to sound, you know, obvious or, or to some people, but I, I think Elon Musk is super interesting. Um, I just think I could ask him any question and he would have a really an extraordinary answer, whether, you know, uh, forgetting whether right or wrong or whatever it is, is that that or Ray Kurzweil, right? The, those, those two are for me like futurists. Yeah. I, I just obsess over this stuff. I would love to have a job being a futurist. Um, and I think I have somewhat of a job like that, but you know, Ray Kurzweil is really the, the, I, I think the Einstein of our generation and, and Elon Musk is not far off. Awesome. Well, look, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. This was an incredible interview. Thank you just for giving back, being open, honest, vulnerable. This is going to help a lot of people in our community. Nathan, it was great. Thank you so much. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.